0: So we're in this series called Voice, which is launching out of John chapter 10. I encourage you to read the entire chapter. It is so helpful and valuable um, and gives you an idea of where we're going and where we've been. And if you have missed any of the last two weeks, I encourage you to go online and you can listen or watch. But I want to read the first 10 verses as a way to kind of reorient us to what is happening here. And says very truly, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. See, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees because he's finding them to be a distraction and offering to people something that isn't the way to life. So he's telling the Pharisees to listen to his voice, And he's telling everyone else that might be hearing this or knowing this not to listen to the Pharisee's voice because, and this he goes on here, Jesus used this figure of speech they didn't understand. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, he says. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it. To the full, to listen to the voice of Jesus, to follow his way leads to life, is what Jesus is saying. And the other thing that Jesus is saying is a lot of other gates and paths are being offered. And he's saying, those don't lead to the life that I can offer. Those lead to death and destruction. And so, it's important then that we are able to tune our ears to the voice of God. Jesus used this, uses this shepherd and sheep analogy not just as a, a, a nice metaphor, but actually would it, because it would have meant something in particular for the hearers of his day. So when he talks about sheep and hearing voices and all that kind of thing, he, he recognizes that, that they would know that, that sheep have really great hearing. They would know that, that they would be in tune with lots of things because they have really bad eyesight. So the sense of hearing is very high. And, he, and, and, he, and he, they would know that, that, a, that a, sh- a shepherd would, would bring in, let's say, their 50 sheep. And they are coming to town. Well, every shepherd didn't bring all their sheep all throughout the town. They would leave them in a big, huge sheep pen for, for them to be held in while they went and got supplies or did whatever they were going to do before they went back out to the edge of town and then took their sheep and went back to their pasture. Now, these sheep pens were huge. Thousands and thousands of sheep from maybe hundreds and hundreds of shepherds. So let's just say there's 10,000 sheep in this, in this sheep pen and 50 of them belong to one particular shepherd It seems like it might be a little difficult to find where those 50 are after they've all mingled, except for that. this is what would happen in those days because the sheep were so trained to hear the voice of the shepherd that when the shepherd came to the gate and called their sheep, which I don't know, sheep, I don't know what he said, you know? (laughs) But nonetheless, whatever he said, only the 50 sheep that were his would perk up their ears and come to him. The rest of them didn't hear a word. They were so in tune with one particular voice that every other shepherd that came, every every other leader who came to try to lead them somewhere, they didn't even tune in. And that's what we want to be as followers of Jesus. So tuned in to the voice of God that another voice comes along and it's like, I'm not listening to that because I know it's not my shepherd's voice. So the big idea... We've been coming around and it's really such an important first step for all of us in following Jesus is that if we're going to get to know the voice of God, we've got to know the person from whom it comes. In other words, if I want to know somebody's voice, the best way to do that is to spend time with the person and get to know the person, not just just develop voice recognition software. That somehow just picks up inflections and it's this and it's that. Because we know that communication is so much more than just words. Body language. Silence can even communicate. Pauses can communicate. Tones communicate. All these types of things. Which means that listening to the voice of God is not a science. It is an art, or may I even say a mystery. Not that it can't be known and done because it can, and Jesus wouldn't offer something if it wasn't possible. But more that that we are not perfect humans listening to a perfect voice. It is a perfect voice, but we are not perfect humans. Therefore, there's going to be oftentimes static in the way that we receive it, and we're going to have a hard time sometimes tuning in, even though we say, Jesus, I want your voice to be the loudest. And so I just want to give a few ideas that I think are so helpful for us that come out of this passage and throughout Scripture. And the first one in terms of recognizing God's voice, knowing His voice is to keep showing up. Just keep showing up. In Luke chapter 1, this would indicate the very beginning of the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, there's a story, and it's about Zechariah. Zechariah is the, is the father of John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer more accurately, and he was married to Elizabeth. And it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, or like by straws, according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament is about 400 years, and oftentimes was called the 400 years of silence. Because, and we have this recorded in much of the Old Testament, is these, 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 the voice of God revealed through the prophets, revealed through the ways in which He would speak in those days, and, and then they get to the end of the Old Testament, <laughs> living it out, and God goes silent, no prophets, no angels, no nothing, 400 years. That's a long time. And Zechariah is a priest, and he's on duty, and he's doing his duty. And he's, I just, you know, can you imagine? 400 years, no, I haven't heard from God. I don't know, here we go. I guess just go do this, and just got to do my thing, you know? Now we don't like the word duty in our, in our culture today. Like, do something out of duty. Like, ah, oh, no, 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 man, I got to feel it. If I don't feel it, I'm not going to be true to myself, man. i got to be true to myself. i got to be authentic. I don't want to be a hypocrite. We don't want to be hypocrites, but let me make sure that we are on the same page as far as what hypocrisy means. Hypocrisy is not when actions contradict emotions. Hypocrisy is when actions contradict convictions. Which means that the reason that Zechariah kept showing up was not because he always felt like it, He kept showing up because he was convicted that they served a speaking God. A God who spoke. And even though they hadn't heard him for 400 years, he was a speaking God. And if I keep showing up, maybe today is the day that he speaks. Maybe today is the day that I hear him. Maybe today. So maybe it was like, here we go, I'm just doing my duty. And he gets cold and it's his turn to go into the temple. And and in this particular day, if you read on in the story, Luke chapter 1. It says, the angel of the Lord appears. 400 years he kept showing up, and all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appears and God speaks to him. Now, if we think about this in so many other areas of our lives, how many of you have never felt like going to work? How many of you have not felt like going to class if you're a student? How many of you have not felt like if you're a parent, you haven't felt like parenting? (laughs) Notice how that one got the most. (laughs) Why? But do you like, well, I don't feel like it today. I'm out. Hey, boss, I'll see you later. I don't feel like coming today, so it's just not going to happen. I'll come when I feel like it. It's not how we live. Why? Because we have convictions that say I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to do what I've, I've said I'm going to do. I'm going to do not only what I said I was going to do, I'm also going to do the things that even though in the moment of difficulty and I don't feel like it, I know it's, what, it's, it's going to pay off and it's going to be worth it. I'm just going to keep showing up. And so can I just encourage you? Keep slipping away with Jesus. Keep going after the silence and solitude with Jesus every day. Keep going after and showing up to your city group. Going to a city group once won't change your life. Going to a city group and meeting with the community of faith consistently will impact your life dramatically. Keep showing up with the people of God on a Sunday to sing and to worship, lean into Scripture, and connect with one another. If we do that consistently, it will... all. And it like, well, here's my duty, going to church. But you never know because of the convictions that God will meet us. The day we have a Zechariah day. Yeah, keep reading the scriptures. Maybe it's out of a paper Bible. Maybe some of you have not seen a paper Bible before, but this is what it looks like. Or maybe you read it on your iPad or your iPhone or whatever, but keep reading the scripture. And sometimes you might feel like, man, I'm just reading it. And it feels like, well, well. you know, you ever, Charlie Brown's teacher? <adeshidelity> like that's how it sounds to you sometimes? I don't know, God. This feels like. You ever you ever seen this Jack in the Box, you know, old toy, you know, like spit, you keep uh, winding it or 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 uh, spinning the, the handle and, bump, bump, bump. and just some days, but I'm just gonna keep showing up. I know that this is the Word of God and it speaks to us, but I just feel like it's like I have words on a page and it's just wah, 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 And just like the Jack in the Box, one day you go and you read words on the page and all of a sudden, wah bam pops out, and you're like, God just spoke to me and just changed something dramatically in something that I've been thinking about and wondering about, and God just spoke into that situation and gave me direction, and every, ah, what? Because if we don't keep showing up, that doesn't happen. You're like, well, that hasn't worked the last four days. I guess I'm not going to come on that. What if that fifth day? What if that 400th year Just keep showing up. Second is to grow up. Now as a I don't do this very often, it doesn't happen very often, but but I got three points that end with up. (laughs) It's like a preacher's dream. Okay, so (laughs) so we show up. We grow up. Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven through thirteen says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. To equip, equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, maturity looks like more like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus is a sign or a signal of maturity the fruit of the Spirit coming out of and looking like our lives, that we become more loving and gentle and joyful and kind. God is interested in maturity for you and for me. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for a week or you've been walking with Jesus for 25 years, there's more maturity for each one of us. And just like is true of people, just because you get older doesn't mean you you are more, more mature. So I know some... 45-year-old kids, and I know some 30-year-old mature believers in the faith. And so the reality is, is that we need to recognize what maturity looks like and what voice, the voice of God sounds like as we grow up. I have four boys, Parker, Cohen, Brooks, and Smith. Smith is 12, Parker is 19. My 19-year-old is a freshman in college. But when all of them, you know, let's just say three, four, five, you know, we're going to go across the street, grab their hand, and we go to cross the street. And I'm like, we stand at the the curb, and I give directions, and this is what you need to do, and look both ways, and cars, and beware of this, and, you know, keep looking in both ways, and, you know, it's all instructions, holding their hands. And I'm like basically talking on the curb, on the road, the whole time I'm talking. Don't do this, do this, watch out for this, whatever. If my son Parker called me and said, Dad, I'm about to cross the street, will you help me? <laughs> I would think I failed. <laughs> Why? Because he's not five, so I shouldn't talk, I have to talk to him like he's five when he's 19. About the, he's still, we're going to cross the street when we're five, we're going to cross the street when we're 19, we're going to cross the street when we're 50. But sometimes I think we're like, God, why aren't you talking to me like the whole time and telling me what to do? Because you're not five anymore. And God's like, no, no, you're 19. And you're maturing. And so you know what? My conversations with my 19-year-old are different than my conversations with my 12-year-old. And oftentimes it sounds, sometimes there's less talking, sometimes there's more talking. And oftentimes now I'm like, Input, encouragement, challenge. Sometimes we're like God. What, what is this? That can't be you. You can't be challenging me. You know, like we just like you just tell me what to do as we walk. No, no, no. the The voice of God is the same. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what he sounds like when he's when we are five, if you will, and what he sounds like or what he might be saying to us and what he might be addressing when we're nineteen or etc. is going to be different. So, anybody ever seen the? The movies, The Chronicles of Narnia, you read the books? Written by C.S. Lewis. In those books or movies, the, there's an Aslan character. He's a lion, and he's the, he's the Christ character in the, in the story. And in the earlier books, when the kids are younger, Aslan speaks a lot more than he does later as they grow up. In one of the later books called The Silver Chair, one of my favorites, Actually, I love them all. But anyway, um, Aslan is not near. And, and there's, a, there's a, a, a phrase that will maybe highlight and bring Scripture to your mind where it says that the children without Aslan near them to guide them, they have hidden Aslan's word in their hearts. So even though you don't feel the, like, you're holding my hands and you're telling me exactly what to do, because of those moments, it should be... God's word should be hidden in our hearts. And the same is for us. The same goal for us, maturity. Show up, grow up, and fill up. Stay filled up. And we we need to be full of the reality of who God is in order for us to be able to know and test the voice or the voices that we hear. So, when or we hear God, or we hear a voice and we think it might be God, we wonder if it's God. We never just run off on that alone. See, God will never tell you to do something contrary to His character. So, how do we know His character? We know His character through the Scripture. So in order to hear God's voice, know that it's him, recognize it, and know it, we've got to know who he is and what his character is all about. In other words, God is never going to tell you to go kill someone because that's not God. Well, how would we know that? Because of the Scripture. I believe that those who know the Bible the most hear God the best because you were able to tune in to who God is, which means that we read the Bible every day or as consistently as possible. Repeat, repeat, repeat over and over and over again to stay filled up with the reality of God. Because there is no formation without repetition. If we want to physically form, I wish we could only have to go to the gym once. (laughs) But we have to go consistently. Why? In order to see formation and change. If we're going to see formation and change to mature and become more like Jesus, we have to repeatedly, consistently go to places where we will be formed. One of those is the scripture. And we've got to stay filled up. And if we're filled up, just like this can, it's unopened, LaCroix, and this can, full, can withstand a lot of pressure. Like a lot, right? It's full. Why? Because it's it's full. (laughs) This can is not full. And the reality is we don't just stay filled up by reading the Bible the Bible once. We leak, right? And we get filled with lots of other things in our culture. And when we aren't full of the right things, we cannot withstand and handle the pressures around us. And with just a little pressure... We're like that. So we can either have something solid to stand on or not much and wonder why we feel like we're crumbling all the time. Which means that we come to the scripture, not just though for the personal will of God God, what do you have to say to me today? What am I supposed to do? But we can understand his character and we can understand. And I realize we all have questions God, I want to do what you want me to do. What job should I take? What school should I go to? Should we have two kids or three kids or five kids? You know, I don't know. But God does. And God does have a unique and a personal plan and desire and talents for each and every one of us. But when we come to the Scripture consistently, that isn't the only will that God has, just for you and me individually and uniquely. See, There's a few others, and I want us to put these in order because it helps us to to get to the place where we hear and we walk in God's personal will for us. The first one is His redemptive will. It's the the will that is communicated in the grand narrative of this entire book, and it is the redemptive sovereign will of God, and I call it redemptive because it is God's will for redemption for all of humanity and His creation. That all things are supposed to be as they were in the in the beginning, and God initiated a rescue plan that culminated in His Son Jesus. Why? Because He cared for His His wonderful world, and He cared for you and I, and for humanity, the crowning possession of His creation. But He said, "I want all of my creation to be redeemed and to be as it's supposed to be." So God is a redeeming God, and we have that theme that runs all throughout from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis one to Revelation twenty-two, the beginning. Of Of all things as they're supposed to be, and the culmination of the redemption of all things in the end. That is an incredible story. That is an overarching narrative. That communicates the character and and nature of God. So, as we become familiar with the redemptive will and we we also read the scriptures, we will also come across his moral will. Things like the Ten Commandments Thou shalt not kill. That is a, a moral imperative that he would say, This is the way to life, and this is the way to death. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Or like in 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament. It is God's will. Now, it doesn't get much clearer than that. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, that word sanctified is another word for become, change, be shaped and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable pretty countercultural to the narrative of our day, to control your body and not give your body, give yourself over to the desires of the flesh. Say, well, I want to do it, so therefore I'm just going to do it. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. In other words, he's saying, you know God, and as a result, God has direction for your life. It's called his moral will. So we have a redemptive will, and we have a moral will of God, And you're like, well, what about my personal will? God's personal will for my life, so important. But can I just say that if we, what I found in not only my life, but in so many other people's lives, is if that we give our attention to the things that are more clear, God's redemptive will and God's moral will, and learn and yearn to follow those, that the personal will of God starts to align with those other things. And we also find that it's easier to walk in those. And maybe we almost don't naturally fall into the personal will of God. See, because at the end of the day, God cares more about who you're becoming than what you're doing. In other words, what, this job or that job? I think God is more concerned about who you are in whatever job you have. Are you kind? Are you full of the life of God? Do you love your enemies? Do you pray? for those who are mean to you? Do you you honor your boss even if they're a bad one? He's more interested in who we are and what we're becoming than what we specifically do. Now, he's interested in that as well. But I think if we can lean into who we're becoming, we'll align with God's overall redemptive will and recognize that everything is about God and his plan and we want to be a part of that our personal part in all of that becomes more clear. You might say, Aaron, I wrestle with that. I wrestle with, like, God's will and my will, and does that mean I'm a bad Christian? No, it means you're human. And you're actually in good company if you're wrestling with your will and God's will. You're in good company with Jesus. Jesus walked this earth and was fully God and fully human. And Before going to the cross, we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knows he's about to be crucified. And in the garden, he says to his father in prayer, is there any other way? I don't want to do this, is what he's saying. He prays and he wrestles with God in prayer. And he comes to the place where he says, okay. Not my will, but your will be done. So if you find yourself wrestling, it's okay. But wrestle with God in prayer, with the desire to land in the place where I can say, Not my will, but your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the question for all of us is what will am I tuned into today? Am I tuned into God's will? Or am I just tuned into my feelings and my desires and what I want and trying to figure out how to make that happen? Whose will am I tuned into? The cultural narrative of our day says, tune into your feelings and do whatever, do whatever. And if you feel it deeply enough, that's, that's, that's it, that's truth. That's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus says, tune your life into the will of the Father. Jesus says, I don't do anything that the Father's not doing. Tune your life into the will of the Father and follow Him. And so today I want to give us all some next steps, but specifically a next step for all of us together. And it's the next step that, we've, that I've been encouraging everybody to take throughout this series, and that is to spend some time, take some times for silence and solitude, you and Jesus, sit with your good shepherd, to get to know Him relationally, to spend time with Him. Not so that you can come with your list. That's a good thing to do, but spend five minutes in silence and solitude. I talk about it in greater detail in the first message. I encourage you to go back to that, but do that this week. Now we're start, I don't know where you find yourself in doing that or having done that or wherever. We're starting weekly, but the goal for all of us is daily and not just throughout this four-week series, but for the rest of our lives that we would walk with Jesus, be with Him, know His voice more clearly. So can I encourage you to keep pushing towards that this week? And for some of you, you have a step today, and that step is to respond to the invitation of the Good Shepherd that says, follow me. Stop following these other voices. Stop following the internal voice of selfishness. I want you to follow the voice of the Good Shepherd. Will you do that today? Will you respond to the invitation of God, it says, will you follow me? I am the way to life. According to the culture today, it might seem like it's more restrictive, but it actually leads to the greatest freedom. To be a slave to the desires of your flesh does not lead to life. What is talked about as freedom today actually leads to greater enslavement. But if you come to me with my will, the boundaries and all the things... They lead to life. And so maybe you feel that maybe you're in church for the first time, first time in a long time, but you just sense something from the Holy Spirit. Will respond to that invitation today? And say, God, I give you my life. And Jesus, I, I want to follow you. If you just say that under your breath, it's not the only thing you should say to God. But as a great first thing, as a step to say, I'm going to follow you all of my life.